Welcome to episode 74 of the Roger Snipe Show. The Roger Snipes Show. Yo, what's going on, peeps? Hope all is great. So today is going to be an interesting one. An interesting one. I don't know if you guys remember, but um, I'd done a podcast with someone called Cam Fraser. And it was it was um it was one which was based on sexual health. I think it was called Sexual Mastery for Men. Um so that particular podcast was mainly for men to work on different ways in improving their sex life and uh, discussing sexual myths, um, toys, um, anal play, all, all pretty much everything. Um, it was very interesting. Um, but this one today is going to be uh, primarily for women. So sexual health for women. Uh, so the, the the guest which I have on today goes by the name of Kristen, Kristen Murray. And um, <laughs> the interesting thing is, when I had interviewed Cam, he actually told me about Kristen. He was like, she's basically the, the female version of what I do. <laughs> so um, basically, they're both uh, sexologists. And she so she's a sexologist. And... Yeah, so basically we discuss about all things related to sex, primarily focusing on female sexuality. Um, now, Kristen is a certified uh, yoni massage practitioner. Um, I think the term yoni is means vagina, I think. I could be wrong, but I am I'm sure she uses the term yoni to talk about yeah, vagina. Um and trainer. She's a sexologist and sex coach trainer. Um and known for her gentle yet informative and inclusive approach to gender inclusive sex education. And uh, Kristen's main passions are empowering women in their sexuality through a better understanding of their bodies and the female sexual arousal response. Now, we go through loads of stuff, uncovering uh, meanings of words where people might not have even thought about it. Like, oh, right, I didn't know that had a relation to that. I thought it was really interesting. I mean, I was digging deep, asking all types of questions. No holes barred. <laughs> no holds barred. No holes. <laughs> Excuse me. Too much adult movies there. Anyways, let's bring on Kristen Murray. Kristen, how you doing, my friend? Really good, really good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being available. I think I initially came across your profile on Instagram through Cam Fraser. Yeah. Beautiful man. Oh, incredible, incredible. I had him on the podcast as well, and um, I 
I wanted to uh, talk about stuff sexually related. And um, I think I came across his profile and I was like, okay, yeah, lots of uh, pictures of penises. I was like, okay. And um, he, <laughs> <laughs> he mentioned about yourself and I checked out your profile and I thought, perfect, you know, pictures of vaginas, but it was more um, related to the females, which I thought was really good, you know, like one for men, one for women. Perfect. That way we can get some real in-depth information on it. And one thing I found really interesting about uh, your page is that you're very expressive, you know, very expressive. Same with Cam, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. So um, you are a, you're a, a sexologist, is that right? Yeah, that's right. I studied sexology at university. I was very lucky too. I feel very blessed. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Like, uh, uh, well, how come I never saw that at, at school or university or anything? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I wish I found it sooner, that's for sure. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about it, like your, your whole journey. Um, how did you get into this whole uh, sexual exploration? How, how did this journey start for you? Mm, I'd love to share. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. I first, I, the, the first thing I remember around sexuality is being around six or seven years old and gathering girls together at school to look at each other's vulva because I was fascinated by my own and I really wanted to see what they all look like. I was at a Catholic school at the time. I had one of my teachers, my favorite teacher called us and she was like, you know, Kristen, if you keep doing this, we're going to have to call your mom. And I was like, fuck, like I do not want to get in trouble with my mom. So, okay, sure, sure. I'll stop, I'll stop, I'll stop. But I was so curious and it was such a fun thing to do with my friends. Like there wasn't any touching or anything. We were just looking. And so I started arranging these viewings again and um, never got caught again, thankfully. That my mom never found out until I was older. And so, you know, that fascination was always there. Little did they know this, you know, my beautiful teacher, she didn't know that this was going to be my life's work. I've seen hundreds, maybe thousands of vulvas since that, those, those early years. And that fascination started there. And then I started exploring my own pleasure and finding like I found my clitoris at around 10 years old or maybe a little bit younger. And I was so excited by that. And I really understood my sexuality externally, my pleasure externally really well. There was a bit of guilt there because I, I thought it was bad and wrong because of the sort of Catholic um, schooling, but I, I didn't, it didn't stop me. And so, you know, that kept going until I was around 14, puberty hit and I'm like, boys, like I want to have sex with all of these boys and girls. I was attracted to girls as well. I really wanted to make out with them, but I really wanted to see penises. I was like, oh, like, I love having sex and I can do this with someone else. I can have sex with myself and then I can like share it with other people. Like amazing. I'd, I'd found my mom's back vibrating back massager as well. So I was used to sharing my pleasure with that, but not with other boys. So I was so excited and I started talking to my friends, you know, I was like, Hey, like, who do you want to have sex with? And they're like, Kristen, it's like, what? I want to have sex with pretty much everyone in our year. Like, don't you like, aren't you horny? Like, don't have sex. And they're like, <laughs> And they're like, you can't talk like that. Like, you can't say that. You sound like a slut. And I was like, oh, like, oh, I guess that's a bad thing. I guess, okay, I guess I won't talk about it anymore. Um, but then luckily for me, for some reason, mother's intuition, my mom told me 
you know, within that year, it was definitely in that year, I came home from school one day, she said she'd been to a counsellor and her counsellor told her she was promiscuous. And she told me and I was like, why is my mom being so like excited about this word? She's like, oh, my counsellor told me I'm promiscuous and had this like kind of fun, bubbly energy. I'm like, that sounds like something I want. Like, what is it? So I went and found my dictionary or the family dictionary and I looked up, you know, trying to spell it. I didn't have Google dictionary then. And I was like, yeah. promiscuous, like having sex with lots of people. And I was like, oh, this, this, this is what I want. Like, so when my mom is doing it, like, then I love her, I respect her. She makes great decisions in life. I'm going to do that too. And all my shame just went out the window. I was like, I can do whatever I want. Like, this is fine. Like, and started seeing it very pragmatically. Like I yeah. saw my friends having multiple, like, multiple tennis partners i'm like well what's the difference like why what's the difference like if i'm having sex with different people or i'm playing tennis with different people like they this is awesome like i want to do it and so i started getting a name for myself and you know i'd hear whispers of oh, Kristen's a slut and slut here and slut there and i was like yeah like it kind of feels shit like i kind of want everyone to like me but i guess it's a price i have to pay to have sex and do whatever i want with my with my sexuality and so, you know, funnily enough, last week, I think um, a sister from school, like, I think like, yeah, around that age, like 14, sent me a, a, a private message on Facebook. Hi, I found you. I just want to say thank you. You're so sexually liberated as a teen. And I always really wanted that. And I was like, yes, like, yes, like, I'm happy that that happened for you. But I'm so happy you told me because like, feel like a little win you know like I cop so much shit about it and then you know fast forward into my 20s and I find I have this fetish uh, which is an infidelity fetish I had no idea what that meant I didn't know about fetishes I only learned this later in my studies and but what happened was when people would touch me when I had a partner I would get so unbelievably turned on. I would like, I would not be able to move. I would be paralyzed with pleasure. And I would be like, you can do whatever. Like I'd be in an altered state of consciousness. People could do whatever they wanted to me. I wouldn't care. I'd be like, so whatever boyfriend that I love, that I adore, that I want to marry. And then that would happen. Then I'd be like, oh shit. Oh fuck. I fucked up everything. I'm going to have to tell them now. And then they're going to hate me and they're going to break up with me. And everyone's going to know I'm a bad person. And so I went through this journey of like this sexuality journey where I was like, I really need to understand my sexuality. I really need to like have a healthy sexual relationship where it's everyone's happy that's involved. And so yeah. I was really interested in finding about out about sexuality. I started going into the more sort of tantra world and exploring that and finding pleasure in different ways. I'm like, okay. And then, you know, I still wanted to understand sort of the psychology behind it. And at this time, before I started going to uni, but after I'd done a lot of like work around sexuality, people were coming to me and they're like, hey, like, I know you know about this and I know you know about that. Can you tell me more? And I was like, oh, like, this feels like my calling. Like I had studied international relations. I was thinking I was going to be opening up a women's center and helping women and all, all these different things. I didn't know it would be in this way. And so that's kind of how it started. I was like, yeah, okay. And then I was like, well, I'm going to go to uni and learn about all this, you know, the sort of psychology behind sexuality and the science of sex. And so I started like learning about yeah, more and more things to do with sexuality and it just sort of blew up from there. Yeah. Yeah. It makes total sense. I mean, it's, it's, it's a part of you, you know, growing up, you were <laughs> feeling it and yeah, it just makes sense. It's almost like, um, like when, when I got into fitness, it's almost like I, um, I didn't want to accept it. 
you know it's like I loved fitness but um because my dad rejected the idea of doing anything related to fitness he wanted me to do something which was very academic and I wasn't a very academic person in school so it felt like I was really trying to force myself to do something that I just felt was what felt was uh important what I was supposed to do and it was only later on in life I was I was 31 before I discovered, actually, I really want to go for something that I want to, you know? Um, and, and now it's, it's so natural for me. Um, I don't need to think about it. I don't even need to be paid. I need some sort of money just for food, you know? But the fact I do get paid, it's incredible. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, se a sexologist. What, what, what is that exactly? Like if somebody was to decide to become a sexologist, what does it actually mean? What does it mean for you? Right, so, right. So I guess, you know, there are a lot of people entering the world of sexuality and sex education and sexual empowerment now, which is unbelievable. You know, it's so great. And everyone that's sharing is sharing from their different lived experiences. And I guess for me, sexology was more so I could, as I said, understand sort of the science, like I really love science-backed information and I really love the, the human brain and how it works and understanding sexuality from that sort of standpoint. Like I really wanted to get, you know, had the more sort of esoteric, mystical experiences in the tantra and sort of like sacred sexuality world. And then sex, sexology essentially is the science of sex. And so I wanted to understand that, but Honestly, like I feel like the the work that I share, the things that I channel, the things that I help people with, a lot of it came through my lived experience and my own intuition. And the sexology part is kind of like I've got a piece of paper and I learned some like, you know, a lot of like data and I learned a lot of like science. But, you know, I don't really use I don't apply that in my day to day work. Like a lot of it is intuition. And I, I usually attract a lot of people that I've been on their journey so I can help them or I've already got a lot of experience with working with other people, if that makes sense. So yeah. I'm not really doing clinical sexology. Like I, 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 you know, people do, people have it as sort of like a clinical sort of place where you go and there's, um, you know, diagnoses and things like that. I'm more working with people from, I guess, more of the sex coach perspective of like helping people through it by, by sort of standing by their side and being like, I got you and um, I've had that experience or I've worked with these kinds of people and mm. maybe we can do these different practices and exercises and I empower them with that um, because that's what excites me. That's what lights me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that real experience. And that's what people people like. I've, I've even heard about um, uh, speakers that have gone on the stage and they've been given a script to follow. But the moment they have to follow the script, they just feel uncomfortable. It's just, it's not from them. It's not really from the heart, you know, from their own experiences. So yeah, that totally makes sense. Also, when I work with clients, it's the same sort of thing. All right, I got some paper there, but it's like, we're dealing with real human beings here. They just want that, that, that human understanding, not like, uh, you know, some, some pharmaceutical explanation or something like that. So I totally get it. So you mentioned you have um, like different sorts of clients. Now, what what type do you have? Do you normally have um, women, men or couples? Probably not men, I would assume. So women or couples, What what is your main clientele, you would say? 
Yeah, so I would say 90% of the people that I work with are cisgender women. So women who are assigned female at birth and resonate with that. They, they, are, they are women um, as they were assigned at birth. Right. Every now and then I'll work with somebody who is gender fluid or transgender. Um, Sorry. Every now and then. What's yeah. the difference? What's the gender fluid Right. So somebody who's gender fluid, they're non-binary. So they can they can sometimes be more in the men or masculine, sometimes in the femme, feminine. Um, but th there is also a spectrum within that, you know, so not non-binary, I guess, is an easy way to put it. Not one or the other. And um, and yeah, and I love I really love working with people because we start then working on the on the level of like masculine and feminine energy. Um, which I just, I love. I really love working that world. And then uh, sometimes I do work with couples, which I also adore. I love working with couples. And I, as sort of outside of the things that I push and show, I have done priestess work with men, with cis men who are wanting to learn how to love a woman throughout her cycle, um, to know like the art of lovemaking of the female form to understand the feminine approach to sexuality. Um, and that, yeah, that's really beautiful as well. I, I absolutely adore that. Now I don't do that so much in a more be before I was doing it with my body. So I'd teach them, you know, this is how you touch a yoni. This is how you touch breasts. And this is how I like it, but this might not be how somebody else likes it. And sort of really initiating them into the love arts. Now, yeah. however, I've sort of changed that and I sort of work through talking and just sharing through education and giving exercises and practices. That's awesome. Is it is it um, through Zoom as well or is it in person or a bit of both? Bit of both. Yeah. Now, not so much in person, sort of since COVID started, I haven't done much in person work. I've done a lot of, I train people. So I train sex coaches. I train yoni massage practitioners, practitioners and I train priestesses. Um, and for the yoni massage part, we do that in person. But other than that, I've been doing a lot of stuff with schooling. So um, yeah, I have a school. I've got like 35 students at the moment and they're just amazing. And they're all learning this work and bring it into the world. That's amazing. That's amazing. Like the word yeah. sex itself is so, I think it's, um, it branches into so many different directions. I think the world uh, mainly focuses on penetration, whether vaginal, anal, or oral. And uh, sexual education in schools, I, I think, was terrible, to be honest with you. What's your approach to, let's say, teaching young girls? What, what, what would your approach be to teaching young girls about sex? Right. I love that question so much. I have tried to sort of crack into the world of young girls, like before they have their sexual debut, because the, yeah, there is so much information that we are lacking and it does, you know, I'm working with the women now that, you know, the consequences of actions that were made without any education from really disempowered places. And so I really want to crack into that. It's not so easy. It's really hard. People are very protective of their children, of sexuality, sex ed. There's a lot of faith in the system and of education okay. in the system, um, sex ed. And it's it's troubling because, yeah, it's it's really hard to crack into. 
but it is something I'm very passionate about. And I think what I would re- like one of, I guess I'll share like some of the main points of contention or, you know, where we should be bringing our awareness to in sexuality is first of all, virginity is a social construct. It is not a real thing. You know, there are two pieces of skin that touch each other that can happen anywhere on the body. They just happen to happen within the vagina. Um, The hymen is not torn. It does not break. It can tear a little bit, but it's a very fine membrane that is worn away over time. Generally speaking, very worn away by the time we do have P in V sex. And so if we do, or any kind of penetration, you know, we've got, we've generally been using tampons before we do that. And some of those tampons are big, you know, like, um, and, you know, there's just, and self-pleasure and things like that. So it's, you know, there's this huge sort of huge deal around virginity, which is creation and, you know, something that's been commodified upon, something that's been used to own sexuality, to sell sexuality and, and there's, this, there's such a big pressure on, on both males and females around virginity. And what I really, I've, I've written a, a kid's book called um, Susmita Shares Her Virginity. And the premise of that book is it's not actually when we have penetrative sex, it's when we share our pleasure with another person. So, you know, instead of seeing like all of the focus of sex being on that, you know, that, that goal of penetration, it's rather pleasure you know it's like can I give myself pleasure with this person can this person give me pleasure like and can I share that with this person and so sort of redirecting the focus of penetration towards pleasure you know sharing pleasure with one another Mm. I feel like that would be just transformative um for our for our girls in in sexuality and for the for the boys as well yeah 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 would you say that it must be a tough one though you know if let's say parents was to look at your work and be and know they've got a teenage daughter they might be like I don't know if I want her speaking to my daughter you know and so I you know I kind of get it you know you're very open and expressive so what would you say what would your approach to be like okay they want to have sex what would you say to those young girls Right. So, yeah, I think that's really a fascinating point. Like the fact that there is soft core, hardcore, dark web stuff available online if people know the right people and know what to type in and what to find. The fact that there is so much, um, you know, misogynistic, um, very, you know, abusive and sometimes illegal behavior and a lot of really unhealthy practices that are so easily accessible. Like every teenager has a phone. Most, most teenagers have a smartphone and connection to the internet. And there's this access to some really dark stuff and some really like unrealistic portrayal of sexuality. And so what I would love to question the parents is like, would you like your daughter to see this version of sexuality only? Or would you like them to see a well-informed, well-educated version? Because they're going to they're gonna have one or the other. And, you know, it's looking pretty grim if they've only got access to, you know, the misogynistic, unrealistic, sometimes illegal um, 
sexual activity that's available, which is where most people are getting, especially young boys around 12 years old, they're getting their sex ed from porn and, and they're sort of bringing that energy into their first sexual experience. And, you know, I would love to just highlight to mothers like, hey, like look at these things that your daughter will know about her body, about her boundaries, about consent, about what pleasure can look like for her, you know, different tools and exercises to use. And, um, you know, that that can seem scary because it's not being done, but actually it's really safe. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you mm. know? Makes sense. Makes sense. I like that. I like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I remember as a as a boy. I think my my first even understanding about sex was from one of my dad's old porn tapes. You know, tapes. <laughs> so that was some years ago. <laughs> Cassette tapes, VHS. I remember putting it on and seeing a guy masturbate. Obviously, I saw the penetration, but I saw a guy masturbate, and I was like, "What is he doing? Why is he shaking it like that?" And I and I thought, let me just give it a go started to shake it and I was like this is feeling all right this is quite interesting um yeah and the moment of climax it was like I just remember my eyes just fluttering I was like oh my god what just happened there you know it was just uh it was insane um but yeah like you know but it's true like if you're watching pornography like it, it Maybe some things you can learn from it, but there's certain things that you probably shouldn't be. You, you need to under understand probably a, a bit more in-depth understanding. This is just the the surface value of it, I'm sure. Right, definitely. I'm definitely not anti-porn. Like I think there is there are so many beneficial uses of porn, like amazing things that we can do with porn. But when it's the when you know, sort of like. Um, the more like the porn that's easily accessible and that's sought out and and sort of pushed in a way and shared that kind of porn if that's the only access to sexuality and sex ed um it can be very detrimental it doesn't give the full picture you know people forget that they're actors and but you know there is beautiful ethical porn where you know feminist porn where there's like much more focus on pleasure um amateur porn we can see like what people actually look like and they're not when they're not acting which is really beautiful um artistic erotica that's amazing like there are some really good uh really good websites out there that that are creating amazing content and I think you know if there was sort of an equal balance of that that would be amazing still not the full picture you know they're not talking about consent and boundaries and communication and um, in porn, you know, it's very much a visual affair and there's so much more to it. You know, it's a holistic, sex is holistic. It's our body, it's our mind, it's our emotions, it's our spirit, it's our, you know, there's so much involved and yet it's a very sort of like visual, um, mental in a, in a sense and um, physical kind of approach, which doesn't, yeah, doesn't, doesn't tick all the boxes, unfortunately. Mm, mm. Have you had cases where women um, have been so like sexually introverted and unaware of themselves that um, um, that you've actually helped them to, you know, change into a different human being? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I've been doing this work now for 
six years and that's what's kept me going through the six years. If I didn't see profound change and get the feedback, you know, every time I get any little bit of feedback, even now, six years later, like, it's like, oh, like, cool. Like, I'm going to keep going and keep doing this. I'm going to keep shining a light on all of this that needs to be talked about. And even though it's uncomfortable, even though sometimes I get it wrong, sometimes, you know, I say it's something inappropriate and it's the wrong crowd in the wrong way. Or sometimes, you know, uh, you know, sometimes I get it wrong, but mm-hmm. most of the time I don't. And most of the time I get amazing feedback and you know I remember someone coming to one of my workshop once and I could not recognize her and I'm like I know you're right she's like yeah like I, I found you like you're the first person I found on my sort of self um like self-work or self-help journey where she was doing a lot of work on herself and she found my workshop she came she came to like part two around a year later and she was a different human in so many ways it wasn't just her sexuality it was there was so much beauty. And I mean, what I really like to to push with people I work with is like no one's broken. They're not, there's nothing wrong with them. They're just at a certain part of their sexuality. And we're inviting in curiosity because they're obviously feeling cold to see what else is possible. And we sort of work from that place and we just expand because, you know, we're all exactly where we need to be. But there is always more, especially sexuality. Sexuality is all about finding the edge, you know. It's like the spark of creation. It's like what's next? Um, so we can never, we can never sort of get attached to sex. We can't say, fuck, I used to have the best sex with this person. Or when I was that age, I used to do this because it's like, yeah, that was then this is now what's present now. And how can we work with that? Mm, I like that. Yeah. Not getting too attached. There's so much exploration with, with sex, isn't it? You mentioned stuff about, uh, breasts. Like you talk about, uh, breast care. You mentioned about uh, breast techniques, like uh, teaching the energy of breasts. And, and there's a certain word you use, uh, duism or something, I can't remember, and tantra and breast meditation. Could you talk a bit more about that? I'd love to. I love talking about boobies. <laughs> um, love everything about them. How can you not? They're the milk of human kindness. Yeah, yeah. And they're sexy as fuck. So... <laughs> But they're also the, the access point to female sexuality. Um, you know, in Tantra, they, we say that there's sort of what we're positively charged in the chest, female body people, and we're negatively charged in the yoni, in the vagina. So, you know, we're sort of like, you know, depending on the, on the chest, but generally speaking, there's more of a protrusion from the chest and more of an like inversion at the yoni, at the vagina. And, you know, so this is sort of like a positive charge where we can cultivate sexual energy and cultivate our love chi is one word for it. So I like a love energy. And um, there's also a saying that female sexuality, um, the seed of female sexuality is within the heart, you know, and so we're sort of directly connecting into the heart in this space. It's very beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful to do breast massage on male body people as well. Like I've done when I used to do erotic massage, when I would get to like the nipples and around the chest, there'd be a huge response in many men, not all men, but many men. Mm. So it's a really beautiful space. Um, And so what happens though, when we do pay attention to the breasts and touch them just the way they like to be touched, this energy starts opening up the yoni, you know, without even getting to the yoni yet, because that's how female body people love to be approached sort of externally into the yoni, like the, the clitoris and internal is like the last place. Like for me, 
foreplay is there's no dishes in the sink. Oh, my, my job's ticked off for the day. I'm getting a bit of a mess. Oh, there's some yummy smells in the room and it's all clean. And, you know, so it's like real external in and maybe I'll have a bit of a massage and then some making out and then some breast action. And then maybe we'll go down to the yoni. So it's like, whereas for male body people, generally speaking, we, because yeah, the energy is like, there's like the, the, the positive pole um, for, the, for the penis or the lingam then when we sort of build that energy up with the penis, then we would bring it outwards towards the rest of the body. So we work sort of opposite in that sense. So it's not going to be the same, very different for different people, but especially male and female body people, that's just kind of like a general approach. So I really love giving attention to the breast. Like I had a, a, a girlfriend once who, when I would stimulate her nipple, she would, she would have an orgasm and sometimes she would even squirt. And I've never experienced that myself. And I haven't experienced it with women since or before. That was amazing. That was like, that's, I could see like what is possible. And, you know, I did research into it and it turns out the nipples light up the same region of the brain as the clitoris. Um, so, you know, there's just, there's so much potential to have there with the breast rather than just being awesome to look at and give a squeeze, you know, like, I know that's my, that was my approach. I'd be like, boobs, like, but I wouldn't like actually think about the fact that these aren't just for me like they're for my lover as well Mm, yeah I get that quickly you did mention about squirting can all women squirt um and what what activates activates the whole squirting process Right. That's a really beautiful question. And I feel it's a very, has a very complex answer. I, you know, there is a a huge pressure on a lot of women right now as we speak to want to squirt because they've seen it in porn or they've heard about it or they've, you know, their partner's like, Hey, babe, it turns me on so much. Can you do it? Like there's like this sort of a pressure there. And I feel like with anything in sexuality pressure, creates performance anxiety it takes us out of the moment it's really can be really stressful and sort of counterintuitive right we're going into this for pleasure we're going into this to forget about stress to forget about our pressure and so I feel like it's really important to sort of to approach squirting in particular from a place of curiosity and not of force because we are all anatomically built with the same things like the skin's glands are stimulated during squirting and we all have skin's glands and so you know the fact that we have these anatomical parts means that it's possible for us to have the same experience however if we're talking about anatomy every female as you've probably felt and experienced every female has very different anatomy like I could put my finger inside one woman and it will feel completely different to the next completely different to the next I remember the first five yoni massages I did when I was very present with the yoni I was like every single person's totally different I'd go and I'd be like whoa like this is a total different world in here so you know if we're thinking that the skin glands need to be sort of stimulated for squirting then you know, anatomically, they're going to be sitting in different parts. We need to know exactly where those parts are and uh, things like, you know, you mentioned like what what brings on squirting, like what makes it possible. Hydration. We need to be super hydrated. Like I had a a female lover who was squirting all the time, but she was drinking all day because she knew that she'd be losing a lot of fluids. And then I would feel her, like her yoni trying to squirt when she'd be dehydrated. It just wouldn't happen. 
Um, so adequate stimulation as well for most people. However, some people don't need that mindset. Like if you're, I've, I've talked to a woman who never squirted before, went to a swingers party, was dancing on a pole. A whole bunch of people were touching her and just feeling all yummy and juicy and she squirted everywhere. She's like, what? Like, I can't even do that usually. Like, and it just happened. Whereas some people, you know, they've been squirting ever since they've been having sex. So it's, it's really, it's one of those things. And I think it's really important too, to note that just because somebody squirts doesn't mean that orgasm is any bigger or better. Like my, when my female lover, she was like, she had never had a clitoral orgasm. And then she bought a vibrator and had one. She was like, holy fuck, now I understand why women are so obsessed with clitoral orgasms. Like I don't, she'd only had internal squirting orgasms. And so it was almost like, it was really beautiful to see that they're all amazing. And it's also really important to, if you're going to want to squirt, if you want to explore, you know, to do so from a really, again, a curious place, because if we force it and push it, we can cause damage. It can, I've heard of different stories of people pushing and forcing too hard. And there's been issues that have happened within the Yoni since then. So yeah, we don't want to be forcing or pushing anything in sexuality, especially something like this, because it is a beautiful opening that can happen. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, makes total sense. Um, you use the term uh, woman. I, I've seen it on your posts, woman. Um, I, I'm guessing it's a word, uh, I don't know, you possibly coined. What, what does it mean to you? So, thanks for asking. I, I'm really happy to talk about it. It's a pretty controversial word. Um, it's, I would love to share what it means to me. I'd love to also share about why it's controversial. One reason is because it seems exclusive. It seems as though I'm excluding uh, trans women, which I'm definitely not. And However, I like it that it sparks that conversation. Um, it also can seem very um, kind of like mainly that it's exclusive, but it's also sort of because there are sort of feminists who are, anti-trans or transphobic do use it so then it's almost like it's double controversial because it's not just me using it and people are using it in what I perceive as very negative sort of hateful way um but I still love bringing up the conversation and it does you know it probably some people probably see that and go fuck you like you're transphobic but some people say hey I want to know why you use it and I love explaining why and that's because so I looked into what the etymology of men meant and it meant to think. And I was like, beautiful, like that makes sense that the word men is in, in men and women because, you know, I've seen a lot of people cross out the E um, or the uh, uh, of woman, of women um, to sort of like take out the men aspect. But I'm like, well, if the etymology of men is to think, like we're all thinking, we're all doing this amazing thing that humans do, this like this kind of consciousness that we have. Um, and then I was thinking like woman. So like the, you know, the fact that there's womb in that word, it's, it's referring to the womb. And so, you know, the bee's being dropped and we don't really think about the fact that it's woman. Right. And, mm. you know, it's referring to the fact that not only can we think, we also have this beautiful, powerful, wonderful thing inside us that can create life that brings the varieties and the spice in life because we are always changing because our hormones are changing every single day we were all grown in this 
this thing we all came from a womb and it's international women's day as we record this so that's perfect timing mm-hmm. um shout out all women <laughs> and you know i just thought it's really important to honor that why are we not honoring the fact that we not you know the, you know the term baby brain baby brain i possibly yeah, heard it maybe w- don't have it in- right so in this in australia we say someone has baby brain when they're pregnant and it's generally referring to them being like a little bit forgetful and like you know putting the keys in the fridge or something like that because they're pregnant because all of this you know this uh wisdom is now in their womb like they're in survival mode they're they're growing a baby like they've got so much going on so it's like baby brain but actually they're doing so much not only you know life can be pretty tricky without growing a human inside you but we see women like working and also having a family and relationship and friendships and also growing a human while they're doing it you know it's pretty fascinating and so I just feel like it's very honoring and respectful word and then the way that I include it for trans sisters is that if you recognize yourself as a woman and you connect to the energy of having a womb then you're also you're a woman as well and same with sisters who have had a hysterectomy just because if they've had their uterus removed or their entire womb removed or partially removed, doesn't mean they're less of a woman. Like they've still got that energy of the womb. So for me, I think it's another way to include trans sisters into womanhood. Um, I've actually got like a, I do, I've got like a free uh, offering that I do for trans women, which is like a womb connection uh, meditation and like a little like thing to fill out during during the lunar cycle so they feel like they're you know in cycle as well as the same as with womb carriers so Mm. really passionate about it Mm. I might want to talk about that this whole I I saw that maybe on your on your page or on your website about the the lunar cycle and different cycles and what what does it all mean I mean it's it's like totally alien to me yeah yeah what what does it mean is it it a way of getting in touch with your inner sexuality and in uh i don't know in line with the stars and moons and stuff how how does it work right so the female cycle is generally 20 on average it's 28 days the same as the lunar cycle and you know as creation has it perfectly our ovulation you know if we're in sync with the moon our ovulation is at full moon and our menstruation is at dark moon and you know full moon is like when it's really bright and we would all be seen you know sort of back in the day in ancient times we would be you know we would all be seeing each other you know out to have sex and and um procreate it was very important back then populate the earth not not so important now um it's more about fun now so you know, it's really beautiful, this connection that we have with the moon, the dark moon. It's like we go within. It's very sort of, it's, you know, you don't want to, you know, out and out and about and having fun and having gatherings with the full, with the, like you are with the full moon, dark moon. It's more very internal. And uh, women would actually have um, menstrual huts that would, they would gather together and bleed together. And they'd have, this is a time when we would be having a lot of like insights come in. This is when there was a saying, if you wanted to destroy a village, you would destroy the menstrual huts because this is where there was a lot of the wisdom keepers were. Um, this is when we would have, like where our left and right hemisphere of our brain are in high communication during this time. 
Um, unfortunately, we're very out of touch with these practices. And so we don't really realize it. But during our menstruation is when we, um, yeah, when we're, we can even get into sort of trance-like states. Men would, in fact, go on vision quests or take plant medicine to be able to have the same sort of visions and insight and connection and make um, decisions and see what the next step was in the next cycle. So the different phases of the cycle are very much connected to the moon because of, you know, different hormone problems and artificial lighting after dark and other things. We're not always connected with the moon. Like some people have longer and shorter cycles. Some people, you know, they'll bleed with the dark moon, you know, for six months and then they'll change, um, which is all beautiful. You know, no one's broken and doing that just means we're learning different things as we go. Mm. And with the, with knowing the menstrual cycle, it definitely relates to our sexuality because our sex is totally influenced by hormones and our hormones are changing every day. So when we can understand our cycles and understand that we change every day, that there's certain phases where we're going to feel differently, for example, you know, the premenstrual phase, which is the luteal phase of the cycle. This is when we have more estrogen, uh, sorry, progesterone, and we're really sensitive. And this has an evolutionary purpose because we're very emotional beings we get sensitive to the things that aren't working and we feel an emotion about it. So we do something about it. And however, because we're often not cycling consciously, we will, you know, start projecting shit on our partner and picking our partner apart, or we'll start picking apart our appearance. We'll think we're ugly. We'll think we're fat. We'll think we're, you know, we're not good enough and that, you know, and if we, we won't see that, you know, that our curves are beautiful and that our fat is beautiful. We won't see that, you know, our acne scars are actually gorgeous or that our pimples are cute. We were, you know, whereas maybe in the follicular phase, you'll be looking at your fat thighs and be like, fuck yeah. Like I'll be like, oh, it's just a little pimple, whatever. In the in other phases of the cycle, but in the premenstrual phase, we can really pick ourselves apart because we are so sensitive and we're so sensitive to problems. You know, like you might have a partner and you'll be like, oh, like they've left their clothes on the floor again. Like can you please not leave your clothes on the floor, but then you bleed and then you're like, I don't actually fucking care, whatever. And so understanding this and understanding, like, of course it's going to affect our sexuality because if I'm like really, really sensitive and I'm premenstrual, maybe light touch isn't going to feel so good, but maybe massage will because I'm so tense. That's going to relax me and ease me. And maybe I don't want PNV sex, but maybe I really want to connect in a different way. Maybe I want to share some of the shit that's going on for me and we are intimate in that way. Um, whereas, you know, fast forward through bleed, bleed phase into follicular phase, when we have a lot of estrogen and a lot of energy and we're very extroverted and we're very do, 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 that would be a phase that we would want to, because we have so much energy, we would give more in our lovemaking. Whereas in the other phases, we might receive more in our lovemaking. Mm. That's, oh, that's truly fascinating stuff. <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> Trying to digest all of that. It makes me question. Um, I don't know, like when, um, let's say when a woman's going through the phase of where she's feeling a bit sensitive and stuff like that. What, what's, what's, what's the purpose of it? Like what, what is the body trying to get you to do? I don't know, the alignment with the moon. Like what, why is she that way? What, you know, there's, there's obviously a good purpose to it. You know, it's not just all negative, right? <laughs> yeah, 100%. So, so yeah, I feel like the only time it's really negative is if we're doing it unconsciously and we're, we're yeah, picking ourselves apart or picking our partners apart. If we do it consciously, 
we're able to go, hey, like I can see all of the things that aren't working and let's create some change. Like this isn't working for us. This isn't working in our relationship. This isn't working in the community. This isn't working what I'm doing. I actually have had some pretty shitty behavior. Maybe I should change that. Um, It can be amazing. And, you know, I love it. I love that phase. And my partner, my partner's like, as soon as I start going into premenstrual phase and I'm like, babe, we need to talk about something. And my partner's like, all right, I'm ready. <laughs> let's draw the bars. Let's have a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. How many, yeah. how many, yeah. sorry, I want to say how many different levels uh, or versions of sex would you say there are for women? Um, and what would they need to do to achieve it? I know with women, it's, it's a bit more. So I don't know. Do, do you have a, um, a, I don't know if it's a hierarchy of sex or just like different segments and yeah, different categories for women. How many would you say they are? Oh, I'm limited to too many to name or would you put them in certain categories yourself? Right. Great question. I love asking I love asking women, what is sex to you? What is pleasure to you? What does that look like? What are you wanting more of? What are you not getting? Like what, what would be, if you're going to go into a sexual encounter, what would you want that to look like? And being mindful that that might change tomorrow. (laughs) That might change next week. You know, there are, there are so many different possibilities of what that can look like. And it's so different what it looks like from person to person. Like if you look in the BDSM community where there's, you know, it, that's very much oftentimes times stigmatized to being like only sex and everyone fucking and everyone spanking. There's so many intricate relationships and dynamics in BDSM regarding power play and role play. And a lot of the time there is no P and V involved. There is no orgasm involved. There is just something that these people are enjoying so much that they're dedicating this part of their life to. And so again it can just look so different I feel for me I love a smorgasbord of experiences you know I might like wild rough sex one day and slow soft sacred sexuality the next day I want I might want laying on each other and tickling and giggling and laughing and writhing around in like joy another day I might want some kinky ass shit another day you know so I and that's what sex is to me and I feel like sex you know we've been so conditioned to see sex as penis and vagina and you know in tantra you you start making love with life you know I can sit down and have a meal and moan throughout the meal and be just as satisfied if I had three orgasms internal and external orgasms so Mm. you know like and that's me some people who aren't foodies that's not going to be their thing but for me if you give me like really good food and freedom to moan while I eat it I'm going to be in heaven. You could kill me in that moment. I wouldn't care. Like I just, I'm just like, yes. Just like I would be if I was having amazing penetrative sex. Mm, that's some, that's interesting. <laughs> the, um, the word, um, I, I saw it on your website. <clears throat> I think the word cunt <laughs> originally originates from, uh kunta or something and is also linked to kundalini could you so could you explain how, what that all means please just yeah, yeah just make sense i of that. love that I, you're in england right 
Sorry? Where are you at the moment? Are you in England? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, right. So I don't know what the word cunt is like in England, but in Australia, we're super chill about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite aggressive here. Some people use it frequent. Some people it's like, mm, no, wouldn't say that. Right. So amazing. I love that cultural difference. Mm. In Australia, the older generation like would definitely still be like, oh, and I, I would say, yeah, I would say like our age, younger, a little bit older, you know, depending on the context, it's, it's used daily. And so there is a lot of that, that sort of like power um, and intensity sort of dialed down a little bit. Um, however, you know, it is still can be used in a derogative way. I mean, in Australia, we might say you're a mad cunt, which is good. Um, you're a shit cunt, which is bad. Um, you're a sick cunt, which is good. So, you know, it can be, it can be used in a, in a bad way. It can be like, cause they're such a fucking cunt or, um, I can't like, there's so many different ways we say it. However, I am very aware that it's such a potent word, you know, in the English language in certain countries and also in certain age groups. Um, and I was really fascinated when I found out that the, the, well, the origin of the word cunt comes from Kunta, which was an oriental goddess. And yeah, this is also where Kundalini comes from. So I think it's really fascinating that, you know, these sort of um, these goddess teachings that existed pre-patriarchy, pre-monotheistic you know, monotheistic religions. There was a lot of um, beautiful wisdom and connection to the stars and connection to our body and our cycles and um, the feminine, you know, those, those, yeah. those divine masculine, divine feminine, and both were honoured. And I just find it fascinating that, yeah, when, when one of the most, maybe the most offensive word, you know, depending where you're at, is actually about a goddess and is relating to sexual energy and i think it's fascinating that it kept its power but the fact that it became so offensive i just it just seems so interesting just like you know the the five pointed star that has the circle around it was deemed satanic worship when you know anyone who's watched the Da Vinci Code knows this um but you know that was like the, the feminine that was the sacred feminine and you know, there's so many things, unfortunately, because of this oppression of women, like in monotheistic religions, we just didn't have a role. We weren't to be heard. We weren't to have any power. And so it's just funny that in our language, we have this just right in our face all the time. We don't even know it. Same as the word vagina, like the, the word vagina is like, that's acceptable. You know, it might be a bit clinical or, um, you know, it might be a bit like anatomy, education based, but it's acceptable. And what I find fascinating about that is that, you know, from these similar times of a lot of like oppression of women, the giant, the etymology of vagina, it's a Latin word, which means a sheath for a sword. So it wasn't even its own thing. It was, it's a thing for something else. Like it's right. not even, you know, those people who don't have sex with penises, like, it's like, well, what is it now? Like, is it just yeah. an empty sheath? It's like, it's just a receptacle of something else, which I find fascinating that, you know, that term is what we all, we all use and think it's okay. Mm -hmm. Whereas kind is so, yes, yeah, it's got this heaviness about it. And um, 
yeah it's like it just it ruffles feathers for sure. that's really fascinating you know that is so fascinating it's so accepted for vagina when it doesn't even it's not the meaning which people think it is whereas cunt is it's got i don't know it's got a bit more spiritual meaning to it so um yeah. you mentioned about kunta listening kunta uh, uh, gazing and adornment um and uh there's another one uh kunta worship um this sounds extreme levels of i don't know maybe love <laughs> um or or a way for women to be so in tune with 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 themselves um uh, would i be right how would you explain it 100 percent. yes like this is i guess one of my probably my one of my biggest passions in life is like vulva understanding pussy pride like I feel like there are so many women who yeah couldn't couldn't pick out their yoni in a lineup whereas most men could pick up their penis um you know it's like it's kind of hidden you know like it's kind of hot you kind of have to get a mirror to have a good look and a lot of women haven't done that um and so you know we're walking around with our genitalia with us all the time and we don't we don't even know what's going on down there and I find that so fascinating like I've talked to many women in their 30s 40s who think they pee out of their clitoris rather than their urethra they think their clitoris is their urethra like there's that level of lack of education and understanding of the body and so I'm so passionate about just getting really intimate with the vulva and with the yeah with the kunta um, with these different practices of worship like worship of your own and of a partner's genitalia is so profoundly beautiful I also teach lingam worship which is penis worship where you you know there's no goal for any kind of orgasm you're not asking anything from the partner or from yourself but you're just saying really beautiful words um, I like to make up like uh, milk and honey and rose petal kind of libation and I pour it on my lover's genitals or on my own and I say really beautiful words and then I'll on my of my lover's genitals I'll, I'll kiss and lick and suck off this yummy nectar this liquid and there won't be any you know there's no expectation to do anything it's just being in the moment it can be really healing especially for lovers who have had any kind of sexual trauma um who have you know pushed themselves to have sex when they didn't want to um if there's been any kind of like um you know erections sort of difficulties where you know um there's been yeah like sensitivity around being hard and being big or whatever you know the the wounding that males have had to endure around genitalia it can be so beautiful to just be honored in exactly you know exactly as you come exactly as you are so this is something I love for people to do on their own genitalia so then they can do it with their lovers as well and so once you sort of start having that relationship with your genitals you don't really accept any bullshit anymore like you start listening to yourself and to your body and you don't do the things that maybe you did do before that were hurtful and um yeah it's really beautiful and then kunta gazing gazing at the vulva very profound like as I said I've seen so many and the more you look like there's a huge problem with body image dysmorphia in our culture in total like we've a lot of us have had to we've had to fight against a system that makes us feel inadequate and so you know that's huge in in within a labia like 
unfortunately in Australia at least, soft porn is not allowed to show in Olivia, um, which is where most young boys are getting sex ed. And so a lot of people don't, a lot of females don't know that their inner labia is normal, asymmetrical, different colors, different shapes, different sizes. They're all normal. And labia plus is on the rise. Fortunately, body positivity is also on the rise, but you know, it's still, it's still happening. Like I saw on TikTok the other day, people like um, plastic surgeons promoting labia plasty. And we know on TikTok is just full of young kids. So it's a big, it's a big problem. And so the more people I can get looking at their inner labia, knowing that they're normal, that they're, they're beautiful, that, you know, and seeing them as a delicate flower that they are is so amazing. So I love that. Yoni Adorman is doing things like, like I really love to uh, shave like a heart shape in my pubic hair. Um, sometimes I like to cover her petals and then do a photo shoot um just like just like you know like the other parts of our body that would make ourselves look pretty like why not our yoni as well so I love doing that too um so yeah they're just some of the exercises we do uh sacred art where we draw a big beautiful picture or small depending on where at how you're feeling of of the vulva and what it looks like maybe from a picture some people draw um what they feel about their vulva like maybe they're not up to looking at at their vulva just yet you know, we're all at different stages of our journey, each equally valid. So, yeah, it's a really beautiful practice as well. Mm-hmm. That's, that's amazing. I mean, you're very open and honest and about your sexuality. You're very expressive and very erotic with your posts. Um, what's your main message to uh, women um, when you do this? say sexual sovereignty like reclaiming our birthright to pleasure sexuality sexual satisfaction is it's legitimately a human right like this in in our human rights like this is a list of human rights sexual satisfaction is one of them and there's a reason however because female sexuality has been so shamed with slut shaming so oppressed so manipulated and commodified upon unfortunately hasn't been celebrated you know it was one of the reasons why in labia is seen to be bad is because it, you know back in the day when doctors did all sorts of shit with women you know they thought that the inner labia meant that they had too much sexuality and so it was bad and shameful um because you shouldn't be like that you know you're just for your husband and so we're coming we're coming through so much bullshit around our sexuality we're so far removed from our sexuality from our natural connection to our pleasure and our and, and something that is our pleasure is our birthright sexual satisfaction is our is our human right so just sort of start there so you know when we're in our womb there are studies showing that we touch our genitalia in our womb maybe there's no sort of conclusive studies but we may even feel orgasm in the womb then when we come out of the womb as soon as we can reach our genitals, we touch them. We are, we are species that go towards pleasure away from pain. Of course, we're going to touch our genitals. It feels beautiful. It feels delicious. Mm. Then suddenly we are, yeah, we're born into a family that more often than not are not equipped to guide us in our sexuality in a safe way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've written another kid's book um, called Susamita Learns Her Body and Boundaries. Um, that goes through this process out of food kids. And so, you know, we come and then we're like, suddenly it's bad and wrong. Suddenly 
my pleasure is bad and wrong. My sexuality is bad and wrong. It's not okay. And, you know, we get these ridiculous, ridiculous education, shitty birds and bees talk, and then we're just thrown in the deep end. And there is so much trauma that happens in the meantime, less so for male-bodied people, um, just because the sort of the approach to sex does work more for male-bodied people. And also because, as I was mentioning before, you know, we're the penetrative force from the chest, like we're positively charged in the chest. The fact that we're negatively charged in the genitals means that's how we receive in the world, you know. And so we have to be really discerning about how we do that and do it from an empowered place because otherwise we hold on to that trauma, you know. And so that's why, you know, female body people are generally able to process emotions quickly and easily and get through it because it's like the heart center is, is where we do that and we penetrate in that way. The same is true for males because they penetrate the world with their penis. They don't have to be so careful. There's less, a lot less trauma going on. Not to say there's no trauma, but there's a lot less trauma going on. And so, you know, and also the fact females are the receptive beings. So we are taking in people. And sometimes because a lot of the time we're people pleasers, that's how we've been socialized to be people pleasers. We will prefer to be in pain then say what we want and what we need because we don't want to hurt our lover. And unfortunately, when I do empower women, I say, you got to say what you want, say what you need. I hear people come back to me and they say, I told my partner he wouldn't talk to me. He, we, we had stopped having sex and he wouldn't talk to me to the next day. Not all partners are like this, obviously. There are amazing partners out there, but there is this huge, and this is, I guess, where the wounding of the men come in because they're expected to be fucking Casanovas they're expected to know exactly what to do with a woman's body when we're all completely different and so they've got to deal with that trauma of like fuck I hope I please and then suddenly you know they might have had a lifetime of people telling them that they're great and maybe tolerating or maybe it was good for them but it's not for this new partner and then suddenly they have to hear like that wasn't good and so it can be really really hurtful and I've been on that end you know I've, I've i've been like i've done something to my partner and my partner's been like oh babe that didn't feel good and i'm like oh neither did you telling me but thank you like and you know i had to like come up with a mantra of like um thank you for sharing your boundaries with me thank you for telling me what you like i want to know what you like like it doesn't matter that my inner child is like fuck i suck at sex it's better that i know what you like and actually get better at what i'm doing than keep keeping on hurting you so mm. I really try and empower women to yeah take back their sex, sexual sovereignty and you know that comes through knowing the anatomy that comes through knowing that we're cyclic that comes through knowing that we don't work like men in sex you know when there's stress involved stress you know for the body biologically it's going danger 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 there's something wrong there's something bad and so you know it makes sense if a guy ejaculates from that you know a lot of the time men do get affected by stress and sex but if they ejaculate, that's a good thing, evolutionarily speaking, because that might be their last time to get rid of their seed. Mm. However, for female-bodied people, if there's stress, we don't want to have sex because that, that could equal baby biologically. It's like the body's going, we are not safe. We are not equipped for a baby. So we do not want to have sex right now. There is stress. There is danger. I cannot carry a baby, nurture a baby, look after a baby. So we work so differently. Like we have homogulous structures of the anatomy, the 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 um genital anatomy however the boner of a male is external the boner of a female internal 
and our boners takes can take so much longer to become engorged than a male. You know, when you feel a woman and she's like all like puffy like a donut. Mm. Yep. around her, her the entrance of her vagina yeah so that is when we're actually ready for penetration and that can take time that doesn't just happen like for boners like by the time we finish talking you know my next sentence a boner could have grown in that time to full full hardness whereas mm. for a female sometimes we take 45 minutes for all of the blood to get to the erectile tissue and so so many so much of the time we're approaching sex in a more masculine way that works for men and we're wondering why we're not enjoying it we're wondering why it doesn't feel good it's like because we don't have all the blood we need in all the places and so and also the cervix doesn't lift up in, and make space for the first penetration so my biggest passion yeah is sexual sovereignty like getting empowered knowing your body knowing your pleasure knowing what you like and being able to communicate it and that's you know for me I mean that's just so if I could see more women doing that, I would just, I would, wouldn't have to work so much. I'd be doing art or something else. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So you also teach uh, something called breathgasm or something. I, uh, yeah. What, what is breathgasm all about? Uh, females. Right. Yeah. 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 So that's everyone. That's for all, all, all genders, all sexes. Um, it is something that I co-created with a sister of mine who's a breathwork practitioner. Um, she's a breathwork guide all over the world. She's amazing. Her name's Sarah Silverstein. Um, and she and I, like I learned how to do sort of orgasmic breathing where I'd breathe at the same time as squeezing my pelvic floor and then breathing in and then breathing out and releasing and cultivating sexual energy in that way. And so, you know, when I started talking to her, she was like, you know what, when people do my breathwork sessions, they come up to me and they say, I had an orgasm. How did that happen? And so we kind of put our two worlds together and created breathgasm, which is something that, yeah, we love sharing on. It's just, it's so amazing because what it does is it takes penetration off the table. It's like, oh, I can feel pleasure just by breathing. Um, it creates expanded pleasure so you can do it without touching your genitalia but you can also do it while touching your genitalia which feels amazing um it really can take pleasure to the next level especially i've found with um with my male body partners when i do internal pleasure of their prostate and i and i get them to breathe do this sort of breathing technique um it's they're more likely to have like a full body orgasm and not ejaculate when we incorporate really beautiful delicious breathing um so you know there's a lot of potential for incorporating the breath because you know oftentimes we do have sex where we're like kind of holding our breath and um <laughs> you know breath plays a but <laughs> yeah mm, that is really interesting that is interesting because I thought it was just uh, mainly for women, to be honest with you, because I don't know, they've got more erogenous zones and I don't know, it's easier to channel in and get the maybe an orgasm that way. But for men, that's really cool. Really cool. What's your thoughts on uh, prostitution? Oh, I'm all for it. I think it's amazing. You know, unfortunately, uh, there's a... Um, a dark side of prostitution which is um uh, well let's let's say 
sex trafficking versus prostitution. I think they can be lumped up together and that's really dangerous. So, you know, prostitution, someone selling their sex as a commodity to whatever it is they need to do um, is one thing, sex trafficking another. Um, However, you know, it is a side of prostitution where people are thinking they're just seeing a prostitute, but actually they're seeing someone who's been sex trafficked. So, you know, that side of things, huge problem. Um, and, you know, the, the way that our uh, justice system is trying to approach that doesn't work. Um, but prostitution in general, like uh, whole, uh, what I call sacred whoring, um, <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> it is, it's the old profession. It is something that provides so much more to clients than sex it's a lot of the time there's a lot of emotional connection um there's you know there's this service that's happening of just like any service you know like I was saying with playing tennis and having sex the same thing people are selling their bodies for things all the time and I think that there's a difference between prostituting some yourself out to whoring yourself out I guess is why I like the term sacred whore I think we prostitute ourselves with, you know, beyond sex in many different ways where we, we need something. And so we sort of, um, we use what we have to get it. You know, like there are people who work in mines and do ridiculous labor with a lot of damage to the body. Um, and you know, they're prostituting themselves because they're going to make a certain amount of money and they've, they've got these means. So that's how they do it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the same thing with sex. Just because sex involved is involved now doesn't mean that it's bad and wrong. It just means that, you know, someone else is doing what they can with the means that they have. And, you know, when, when I come to, when I talk about sacred whoring, this is, I feel, a place where, a very privileged place where someone is having sex in exchange for money or goods or whatever it is. Um, and they enjoy it and they love it and they are, you know, they, they are getting pleasure from it. And, um, you know, that they're, they're able to do that from, I guess, a place where um, they have choice mm-hmm. and they're choosing this, I guess, is, you know, a different way to look at it. I feel they're both equally valid. They both work as long as everything's safe, sane and consensual, Um they're both equally valid. I just, I, I wish that those people that were selling sex for cash were able to do it in a way where they were also enjoying it. But at the same time, fuck, I wish everyone could do that. Just because it's sex doesn't mean that, you know, oh, poor them, they should be having it this way. It's like, you know what? People get PTSD for a lot of different jobs and I wish all of them could be doing what they love and getting paid for it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of my perspective. That's cool. Makes sense. Total sense. Well, look, man, it's it's been it's been incredible. I've learned quite a lot. <laughs> Is there anything else which you would like to share at all? You think might be important? No, I mean, I I want everyone to go and do their research and find out what sexuality means to them. Like what I've shared today may resonate. You know what I what I shared might seem like so cryptic and weird and but please, if you're feeling like you want to explore your sexuality find someone who does resonate um because it is as i said it's a it's a human right 
um, to have sexual satisfaction. And, you know, sexuality is, it replenishes our nervous system. It's so good for our, our sense of well-being. And there are so many benefits and we all deserve to have access to it. So, yeah, find someone who works for you and learn and grow and explore. And if you're asexual, power to you as well. Like there are amazing things in the world that you can also do that has nothing to do with sex. Yeah. Sounds great. Sounds great. Where can people find you? Well, what social media platforms? Let's say someone wants to really venture into the, you know, sexual nature and they want to um, speak to you about the services which you provide. Where can they find you? Yeah. So Instagram, I'm pretty active on Instagram is at Yonilicious. Uh, my website's awesome and it has heaps of free stuff on there, which is yonilicious.com.au. Um, so yeah, there's a tab that says freebies, but you can like have a little look around there and, um, learn a lot. But my Instagram, my YouTube also Yonilicious, it has like longer videos that I couldn't put on Instagram back in the day. So there's some stuff on there. If you're feeling like, yeah, if I resonate with you, have a check, check out all that stuff. And there's a lot of like, yeah, things that you can sort of get a taste of before, if you do want to work together. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much, Kristen. Once again, it's been great. It's been really good. Yeah. yeah, I've enjoyed it so much. Thanks, thanks for having me on and trusting me and and asking the the hard questions. Mm, oh, they were good questions. Uh, good answers. Great answers. <laughs> All right. Well, look, uh, you enjoy your evening. My day is just starting now. It's almost eight o'clock for you. What time is it now? Eight o'clock in the evening or seven? Uh, it is, I think it's like 6.30. Yeah, something like that. 6.30. Okay. Cool, cool. Yeah. All right. Yay. So. Thank you. Much, much love. Thank you. You take care. Ciao. Goodbye. Thank you for tuning in today's episode. Any guests which I have on the show really provide some golden nuggets and useful life-changing tips. So always feel free to check out their social media platforms or website links, which will be written in the show notes. These shows are financed by my sponsors, so your contributions are always greatly appreciated. Any clickable links with discount codes will not only provide you with the best services, but will help out the podcast too. So thank you. If you do like the Roger Snipe Show podcasts, then why not give it a review? A five star would be awesome but some great feedback on what you liked about the show or what you would have liked to hear would be helpful too. Until next time.